It is good, as always, to be with you and open God's Word together. Let me encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to turn with me to the letter of Philippians. It would be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I believe we'll find it's a fairly familiar passage to many of us, but a passage that is full of truth and glory, and a passage that is incredibly important for understanding our series on generosity. So this is the second in a series of six weeks in the series Open Hands, a study on generosity. So today we'll look at our Lord Jesus Christ and see how in his work for us and in his person, a model for generosity. And as we look at the work of Jesus as presented here to us in Philippians chapter 2, we will see the glorious truth that the way up is down. So the Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness and grace in allowing us to gather together and to worship your name. And Father, we thank you most of all for sending your Son. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your humble obedience to your Father, for your sacrificial love to us, that you loved us so much that you would come to this earth, take on a body so that you could go to the cross to die in our place for our sins. So I ask that as we go into this text today, and Lord Jesus, as we look at the example that you laid before us, that we would not miss the glory of what you did for us that the gospel would be front and center. That, Lord Jesus, we wouldn't just see you as a model, but we would see you as our Savior. Yes, show us our need for you today. Show us your love for us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this time you would come, that you would do what you love to do, that you would open hearts to the power of your word, that you would empower my words so that what I speak would bring honor and and glory to the Father, and that as a result of our being together in this time, our hearts would be transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's in his mighty and powerful name we pray these things. Amen. So in, in elementary school, maybe middle school, I read this book called Where the Red Fern Grows. I don't know if any of you have ever read it, but it's set in Missouri, and it's about raccoon hunting, and it follows this boy and his two coonhounds. And there's this part in the book where they're trying to trap a raccoon. 
So they build this trap in the hollow of a tree. What they do is they put nails in the tree that are angled in, and they put a shiny object down inside the hole in the tree. Because what raccoons will do is they'll come along, and they'll see that shiny object. And with an open hand, they can slip their hand down between the nails and grab hold of that object that's shining there inside the hole of the tree. But it's a trap. And the trap is made such that once the raccoon makes a fist and grabs the shiny object, it cannot pull its hand back out of the hole. And so there the raccoon sits until the dogs and the hunter come along to take care of the raccoon. Now, no, it's not humane. I, I know, but it's, it's in the book. But it illustrates a valuable spiritual principle that the passage before us wants us to see. You see, the raccoon valued the shiny thing inside the hole so much that it wouldn't let go of it even in the face of death. And because the, the raccoon chose to cling to the shiny thing, it found its doom. As we look at this passage today, what God's Word is pushing us to see is that we're like that raccoon. We have a tendency to cling to the shiny things around us, to the things of earth, to our time, to our treasure, and to our talents, and to hold those for ourselves at the peril of our own souls. Yet what we see in this passage is there was one who chose not to cling, who chose to open his hands and come for the good of others, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. This passage is one of the most glorious passages in all of the New Testament in understanding the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In it, we see his plans in eternity past. We see his incarnation. We see his perfect life. We see his substitutionary death in our place. We see his victorious resurrection. We see his ascension. We see his being seated and reigning and ruling. We see looking forward to the day when he will come and consummate his kingdom in full glory. And yet, Paul does not give us this passage just to have doctrinal knowledge. He lays this before us so that we can have practical transformation. The call of this passage is to live like Jesus among the people of Jesus. It is to have the mind of Christ. And so as we look at the glorious work and deep love of our Lord on display in this passage, we'll see that to live like Jesus is to make the glory of God and the good of others our highest joy. In other words, we'll see that to have the mind of Christ is to joyfully spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel. So today, we'll look and we'll see the generosity of our Lord Jesus we'll see the humility of our Lord Jesus, and we'll see the greatness of our Lord Jesus. And as we look at his generosity, his humility, and his greatness, we'll see that the way to truly get ahead in life is to serve. We'll see that the way up is, in fact, down. So the first thing we see is that Jesus models true generosity. Look with me in verses 5 and 6. So Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So note, Paul 
is calling the people of God to live in a particular way among one another, right? He says, so have this mind among yourselves. He is setting up what it looks like to live as redeemed followers of Jesus among the people of Jesus. And so he begins to explain what is that mind of Christ Jesus. Verse 6, he says, so have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, looking back to Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, verse 6, as Paul begins to take us into exploring and understanding the person and the work of Jesus, begins before the Incarnation. It begins, and we see who Jesus truly is. Look what Paul says. He says that he had equality with God. He was in the form of God. That is, our Lord Jesus is 100% fully God. For all eternity, Jesus has existed as God, as the second member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, we believe that there is one God who exists in three persons— so Paul wants us to understand that Jesus is God. And as God, he enjoyed all the privileges of God. Before all creation, in eternity past, Jesus enjoyed perfect, unbroken fellowship and love with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the happy land of the Trinity. Since creation, Jesus had enjoyed the glory and splendor of heaven. He enjoyed the praise and service of the angels and all the heavenly beings. He reigned in splendor and majesty and glory and power and honor and praise. Paul wants us to see that is where Jesus was. And yet, what did Jesus do? Paul says he looked at all of that that was his. And he didn't count it as something to be grasped. He didn't see his position as God. He didn't see his privileges as the one through whom all was created. He didn't see his prerogative to have all things go according to his word as something to be clung to at all costs. When Paul says that Jesus looked and didn't see equality with God as a thing to be grasped, it means, I think, a couple things. On the one hand, it means not something to be clung to at all costs, not something just to hold on to, and not something to be selfishly kept for himself. Jesus looked at all that he was and all that he had, and instead of clinging to it, he opened his hand. And he generously came to save his people. See, Jesus looked at his divinity. Jesus looked at his glory. Jesus looked at his power. And instead of holding it tightly to himself, he chose not to use it for his self-benefit. And in love and obedience for his Father and in deep love for his people, he humbled himself and he came. In Jesus' choosing not to grasp to equality with God, we see true generosity. 
And so as we're talking about generosity, let me give you kind of a working definition of generosity. So generosity, as we look at who Jesus is and what he has done, we see that generosity is the glad, sacrificial giving of what we have, our time, our talent, our treasure, for the good of others and the glory of God. Now, every bit of that definition is important. It is the glad giving. See, for Jesus, when he came, we know that he came in gladness. What does Hebrews 12 tell us? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus did not come grudgingly. Jesus didn't grumble about giving of himself for his people. He came in joy. It is sacrificial giving, right? Jesus came sacrificially because what did he give? Everything. He gave his very life. And it's a giving of what we have for the good of others, and for the glory of God. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus used all he had and gave all that he was to obey and glorify the Father and to love his people. You see, when Jesus opened his hands and didn't cling to his position as God, he held nothing back. He gave all of himself that he could give. He used nothing selfishly, but selflessly and sacrificially gave. And this was intentional. Jesus did this on purpose. Notice Paul keeps saying he did this himself, right? And, and, and over and over, so verse 7 we'll see it, that he emptied himself, that he humbled himself. This was willing on Jesus' part. It was intentional giving of himself. And here's one thing I want us to note as we look at the model of Jesus. Generosity is not merely a matter of money. Right? B because Jesus didn't give money. Right? Jesus didn't show up and write a check for his people. Jesus gave himself. See, generosity is not about our money solely. It is about an attitude of the heart toward God and others that is expressed through sacrificial action of our time, of our talents, those abilities that we have, the gifts the Spirit has given us in our treasures, whether those treasures be our physical possessions or our finances. Jesus, in all that he was and all that he had, opened his hands and gave gladly and sacrificially for the good of his people. And yet, I think when we look at our own lives, we have to ask, is that how we do we live with generosity? Because when I look at myself, I know that we tend to cling to all that we have. We're like, take our time, we take our talents, we take our treasures, and we hold on to them and cling to them as if they are the most valuable, most lasting thing. And sometimes we'll be like, okay, God, well, you can have one hour a week. Okay, you've got that, God, but don't touch the rest of my day planner. God, you can have this part of my finances, but don't touch my retirement account. God, you can have these passions and abilities, but, but not these. God, you can have this, but don't take that. We, we cling, and the more we cling, the more we find we're not satisfied. And the more we cling, the more we find we need. And the more we cling, the more we find we are in danger of losing ourselves to all of those things that we cling to. Because it's the things that we cling to that we put the most value in. You see, the mind of Christ, however, instead of clinging, is to say, how can we open our hands and, and use all that we are and all that we have for the sake of Christ? 
and so we, we see Jesus, who lived with open hands, who chose the path of generosity, who chose glad, sacrificial giving of, of what he had for the good of others and the glory of God. And because Jesus chose the path of generosity, we see that he also chose the path of self-giving and humility. Look in verses 7 through 8. Here we see that Jesus not only models true generosity, we see that Jesus models true humility. Verse 7. So Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped to, to be held onto so tightly and to be used for his own advantage. But, and, and that word, but is a really strong adversative in the Greek. You could say, but instead. It, he, he did the complete and total opposite. Instead, what did he do? He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here in verses 7 and 8, we see the cost of generosity. On the one hand, this, these verses point us to the great mystery and wonder of the incarnation, the reality that Jesus, who was fully God, became a man. And so in the man Jesus Christ, he was fully God and fully man. But not only did he become a man, notice what Paul says he became a servant. And not only did he become a servant, but he became obedient to the point of death. And not only did he become obedient to the point of death, but obedient to the point of death on a cross. You see, Jesus, in being generous, emptied himself. So, so, so what does that mean? Well, one thing we know it doesn't mean that over the years has been taught in some circles is that he somehow emptied himself of his divinity, that he was somehow less than God in his incarnation. No, 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 that's not right. Jesus is fully God, fully man in his incarnation. I believe when Paul says that he emptied himself, well, he tells us what happened. He emptied himself. How? Look at verse 7. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. That means when Jesus came to this earth, he came in obedience to the will of the Father. He set aside his own agenda. He set aside the use of his power and his glory to submit himself fully to the will of the Father. Notice Paul says he was obedient. Obedient to who? Not obedient to death, but obedient to the will of the Father to work out the plan made in eternity past to save his people. See, Jesus intentionally limited himself confined to one place all times on earth for the good of his people. Now, I want to be careful here. I don't want to make it seem like that God the Father had to, like, twist Jesus' arm, like, you better do this, boy. No. No, no the, the will of the Godhead, the will of the Trinity is, is always united. And yet there's a sense that Jesus had the power to pick another way, right? When he's in the garden, what's he pray? He prays, Father, if possible, may this cup pass before me, but what? Not my will be done, but yours. He submitted himself as a servant. And then in the garden, when everybody shows up to arrest him, and, G and Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off a guy's ear, Jesus says, stop! And then he says this, 
says, listen, don't you think that in a word I could call and my father would send me 12 legions of angels? Jesus had the power, if he wanted to, to take a course that didn't lead to the cross. But he set aside that power and chose to sacrifice himself because it was only by the cross that he would save his people. And so that's where we see the reality of verse 8, that he humbled himself. By humbling himself, it means that he put others' needs before his own. It means he counted the lives of his people as more valuable than his own life. And to what end did he humble himself? To death, even death on a cross. See, I think one of the reasons that that Paul points to the reality that Jesus' death was on a cross was because in Rome, to die on a cross was, was horrid. It was a torturous death, but more than that, it was a humiliating, despicable, lowly death. It was reserved for the worst rebels and the lowest criminals. You see, the people in Philippi, the, the church to whom Paul is writing, were Roman citizens. And as Roman citizens, they would not be subjected to crucifixion. Because it was that low. It was that awful. It was that demeaning. Jesus chose the most demeaning of deaths to die for his people. And as a result of the cross, we read in 1 Corinthians that for some it was a scandal. For, for the Jewish people of the time, it was a scandal because who wants a crucified Messiah? Because cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. For the Greeks, the, the Gentiles, it was foolishness. Who's going to follow a despised dead guy? Oh, but on the cross we see the wisdom of God because there the mercy and the love of God meet together in the person of Jesus Christ because the wrath of God was paid as he poured it out on Jesus in our place for our sin. The wrath he did not deserve because he lived a perfect life and so the mercy and grace of God could be freely poured out on the people of Jesus because Jesus died in our place. You see, Jesus' generosity meant he was considered a fool or a curse to those who looked upon it with unbelieving eyes. So I wonder, I wonder, are you and I willing to so love and so live, to so give of our time or our treasures or our talents that people might think us foolish? Are we willing to, to live that humbly as Jesus loved? Would we be willing to give up our jobs and pack up and move to another country where the name of Jesus isn't known so that people would say, what are you doing? W would we be willing to so give of our finances that we would sacrifice the, the vacation that, that maybe all of our friends and we see their pictures on Facebook and say, well, you know what, I'll, I'll not do that so I can give here. W would we be willing to so give of our time that others would say, why aren't you spending it over here? Would we be willing to so give as Jesus gave? Because in him we see one who, instead of clinging to heaven, opened his hands and stretched out his arms on a cross to save. But did you notice that? Did you notice how verse 8 ends? Done in with glory. Done in with a tax write-off. 
It doesn't end with a parade and hugs and high fives. How's verse 8 end? It ends with a cross. You see, Jesus' love for his people, his obedience to the Father, his sacrificial generosity came with a cross. Why should we expect any different? Why do we come up with these mathematical formulas that are like, if I give up here, God's going to pour out blessings over here. No, no. Maybe you're going to give over here and give over here and give over here and people will call you foolish and you'll give over here and people will call you cursed and then you'll die. Having spent all that you are for the sake of the gospel. Why should we expect anything at the end of our generosity but a cross? But it's not in there. There's verse 9. And in verse 9, 10, and 11, there's glory and joy after the cross. Why should we expect any different? If, if there's a cross in our path for our generosity, for our sacrifice, for our love, for our obedience, even if that cross, we have to bear our whole lives, even if that cross never goes away, you know what's on the other side of that cross? Joy. Joy eternally that will make every hardship that we experience here that will make every affliction look like a feather. There is a weight of glory that's being stored up for every sacrifice, for every affliction, for every tribulation, for every time we give of our time, our talents, and our treasures for the good of others and the glory of God at a cost to ourselves. There is a weight of glory being piled up for us that we're going to look at and we're going to say, why did I hold on to more? So are we willing to be humble and empty ourselves to find true joy. So, so when we look at Jesus' humility, as we look at him who endured the cross, we don't see foolish defeat. We don't see one to be pitied, but we see true greatness and full And so in verses 9 through 11, we see that Jesus models true greatness. Listen to what Paul writes, verse 9. Therefore, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above him, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Here in these verses, there are these great, deep, rich theological truths. We see the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. The cross wasn't the end. He rose again. He was lifted up and highly exalted. We see the ascension of Jesus, that he's not here on this earth, but he is in heaven, ruling and reigning. We see his continual reign, and then we see a glimpse of the future glory when he will return, and his kingdom will be full, and the glory of God will cover the earth as water covers the sea. But notice with me, Notice why the Father graciously exalted the name of Jesus above every name. Or to say it differently, look how Jesus achieved greatness. So it's right here, verse 9. Therefore, well, what's that mean? Well, that means that, that there's a reason for everything that's coming next. And that reason was just said. 
The reason that God has highly exalted Jesus is because he emptied himself, because he humbled himself, because he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What looked like the worst defeat became the path to glory. It was because of the love and obedience of Jesus expressed through sacrificial humility that he received greatness. The glory came through the non-grasping. Glory came through the emptying. The glory came through the humbling. The glory came through the death. You see, for Jesus, and for everyone in God's economy, the way up is down. The, the way to true greatness is humble, sacrificial service. Jesus himself taught this. I mean, consider the incident we read of in Mark 10. So in Mark chapter 10, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples who are brothers, come up to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask for us. I had to think Jesus kind of snickered. Like, <laughs> okay, all right. And he says, so you just ask them, what is it, God? What do you want me to do? And they said, when you come in your kingdom, we want to sit one of us on your right hand and one of us on your left. And Jesus said, listen, that's not, that's not, for, that's not for you. That's not for me to hand out. The Father's already pointed that. But then they keep kind of going, and the other ten disciples are indignant. They're angry. They're mad at James and John for beating them to that question, basically. They're so angry that these two got to ask Jesus that first. You, you see what's going on there? They're, they're all angry because they want the path to greatness, and they think these two have beaten them to it. So Jesus pulls them all aside. Says, no, 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 guys. You're missing it. You see, the rulers of this world have their power, have their authority, are great by their titles, and they lord it over people. He said, that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be for you. But you are to be a servant of all, and the greatest among you will be a slave to all. And then he says, because the Son of Man, referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for men. Jesus understood that the way to greatness was through service, that the way up is down. But oh, how much we're like those disciples. Because is that how the world calls us to greatness? No. Our world doesn't say, hey, the way to greatness is to be humbled. Our world says, no, the way to greatness is to cling and to grasp to what you have, to fight and to claw and to by any means necessary get to the top. It doesn't matter who you have to crush. It doesn't matter who you have to knock down or climb over. Don't sacrifice yourself. Sacrifice everyone else to get what you want. Because that's glory. Getting to the top. Getting what you want. Whatever it is, it's you, you, whatever it is your heart desires, you chase after that as hard as you can, and then you'll be great. That's what our world says. See, but Jesus says, no, don't sacrifice everyone else. Sacrifice yourself, and that is the greatness. You see, we have to look at what our world offers to greatness, and we have to ask, what does it profit to be great in the world's eyes? I mean, whatever that is for you, whether that's getting that promotion whether it's getting those grades in that class rank, whether it's getting that bank account to a certain balance, whether it's having the best 401k, whether it's having that cabin by the lake or earning that degree, 
scholarship or building that house or winning that trophy or having that growing congregation that everybody else in town says, Matt, how do you pastor such a great church? Whatever those things are that we would cling to, not that they're bad in and of themselves, but when we cling to them as if they are all we have, what's it profit to get any of that but lose our own soul in the process? See, because all of those things, all of the time, all of the talents, all of the treasures that the world would call us to live for, that the world would call us to chase after and spend ourselves on, we think those things are, are where real value lies. So we hold on to them and we cling to them and we grasp them because we think they are so valuable. They're the shiny thing that we can't let go of. But in the end, they are like pocket lint compared to the glorious riches of Jesus. I mean, how many of us would pull some lint out of our pocket and try and trade that for $100 of gold. That's ridiculous. It's a terrible trade-off. If you were offered all the riches of the world and you were like, nah, I've got this thing in my hand, it's better. It's pocket lint. That's foolishness! Foolishness is not the way of Jesus. Foolishness is not to sacrifice because that is the path to glory. The world's the foolish ones. We're the foolish ones when we buy that. Because true riches are found in the grace of Jesus. So let's look to Jesus. Let's look to him as the one who sacrificed all he had for you and me. Because that's greatness. Because look to Jesus. He left glory humbled himself through death and suffering, and what did he receive? Glory. Because the way to glory is through humility. The way up is down. Last week, I said, we're glory thieves. We try and steal it for ourselves, but Jesus didn't. Jesus knew that true glory was gained by releasing the glory he had and giving himself for the good of others and the glory of God. So let's look to him. Let's trust him now. Let's not just look to him as a model. Let's look to him as Savior, as the one who did all that we need to be saved. Let's confess him now as Lord. Let's bow to him and say, my life's yours. My time's yours. My talents are yours. My treasures are yours. And however you want to use them, Jesus, take them. Even if it's not how I would want, you take it. You use it. Because here's the deal. None of that matters unless we've trusted him as Savior first. So let's trust him. Let's confess him now because look. Look at verse 10 and 11. There's going to be a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. On that day, for those in him, it'll be a day of joy. But for those who have resisted him, for those that have clung so tightly to the things of this world, oh, they'll confess. They'll bow. But it won't be in salvation. It will be in defeat and judgment and wrath. So today, while there's time, look to him, turn to him, trust in him, confess him, and then live for him. Because in Jesus, we see that the path to joyful glory is 
not found by clinging to what we have, but by giving all we have for the glory of God and the good of others. So, what are you clinging to? What are you clinging to? Are are you willing to, to let go of it? Are you willing to use all you have for Jesus? Today, let's open our hearts to him who opened his hands for us. And there, let's find true joy in giving all you have for the good of others and the glory of God. Let's love him. Let's obey him. Let's feel his love and let us have the mind of Christ among ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your great love for us in Christ. Father, I pray that that today we would we would trust in him. We would trust in the one who gave all to save us. We would trust in the one who shows us true way up is down. The pathway to glory is through glad sacrifice. Help us, help us get that. Help us grasp that so we may live that for your glory and the good of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.